Your Locked On Blue Jackets, your daily podcast on the Columbus Blue Jackets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Blue Jackets fans, happy Thursday. We are so close to a Blue Jackets game day. This is Locked On Blue Jackets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am, as always, your host, Jay Foster. Thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. I have been keeping an eye on my downloads and whatnot, and they just keep going up and up and up. So that is all thanks to you guys. I super appreciate every single one of you, whether you are a first-time listener or a regular listener, tuning in for the uh, eighth time this month. Now, we've got a little bit of conversation with uh, Micah McCurdy about fancy stats to uh, just to finish off. We talked for like an hour, so there was plenty of content, and I wanted to bring you guys the whole thing. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start off with that, and then I've got a little bit of a mailbag just to finish off a couple of questions from listeners like you guys. So I'll uh, I'll jump straight into the conversation with Micah. Yeah, let's um let's let's get into that a little bit. Actually, who I mean, I don't know how like off the top of your head familiar you are with Columbus as a team. Who who are you like? Who do you pay attention to on on Columbus? Who do you think is the strongest player? I know um, Oliver Bjorkstrand is kind of uh, I I would call him an underrated player. I think he's much a much better player than maybe a lot of the league thinks. Um, his his underlying stats aren't necessarily great this year, but no one on Columbus's uh, stats are great this year. I don't think. But like, who who do you think is kind of a really underrated player that more teams should should take notice of. Well, yeah, Bjorkstrand for sure. Like you say, he's he's you know not as good recently, but two years ago he was extremely strong, and and I I feel like that was probably not just a flash in the pan. And I'm I'm you know when I watch I like to to watch him in particular for that reason. Um, I try not to think about players as underrated or overrated because I find it kind of ties me in knots thinking about what other people think about the players that I'm thinking about. And I, I try not to think like that, <laughs> but, the, um, but there are certain players who interest me, you know, who, who like get a certain amount of attention. And, and so I look at them for that reason. So Max Domi is interesting to me for that reason. Um, I think, you know, there were, maybe it's just the going through Montreal that, that you get that, you know, you sort of patina of, you know, anytime somebody with a big following says, oh, I think this guy is going to be a great star. You know, if, if you're talking about a, a Montreal player or a Toronto player or even an Oilers player or a Rangers player, you can get that kind of sort of spotlight. Uh, so that's one who I've always had my eye on. I also like Jack Roslevic. I've, I've followed his career closely since he was he was in um, Winnipeg, and I'm I'm curious to see how he does in Columbus. The, I also just like him stylistically. The and um, um, Texier, I also really like. I, I've always had a soft spot for French players, like French, France, French players, not necessarily Quebecois players. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how you'll do there. And also Jake Voracek, who I followed quite closely from Philadelphia. And now, you know, I, I think the teams, I think Columbus is a little bit more similar to Philadelphia than Philadelphia fans would appreciate me pointing out. And so I'm curious to see, you know, he, he thrives in a, an opportunistic 
system, which I don't think he would have gotten with Tortorella and he may get now. I, and so there's a curiosity there that, uh, that makes that interesting. I don't know if those are exactly you know, underrated players, but they're players that are interesting to me for, for historical reasons. Yeah, Voracek was was a big a big one for me as well coming into this season because I was really I guess, upset by by losing Cam Atkinson. Uh, you know, he was he was one of my favorite players. He was a guy that I just assumed was gonna retire as a Blue Jacket. Uh, I understand why we traded him, um, and it looks kind of like it's it's working out. I mean, Voracek has I think eight or nine primary assists so far this season which is which is you know why we got him Atkinson's a shooter and Varchek is a is a passer um and so it's it's been really interesting to see him kind of take advantage of of a system that is is not necessarily designed to fit him but like you say it's an opportunist opportunistic style yeah, and it's curious too because opportunistic players you normally associate with shooters, with finishers, and and so Voracek I feel still fits that mold, even though as you say he's much more of a playmaker rather than a than a finisher. And so the combination of him with Lina, you know, it's pleasing to see the the them put together, which is precisely what I would have done also. And and so some you know there might be. There might be a, a synergy effect there too, where a particular pair of players you know, are going to look like they're overperforming because what you're actually seeing is a result from the combination of the two specifically that you wouldn't get um, from them playing with other players. So uh, I think that teasing out those things mathematically is extremely complicated, although that hasn't stopped me from trying. Um, I. But it certainly has stopped me from coming up with anything comprehensive enough to, to publish yet. But I have suspicions, you know, you, uh, like I was saying a second ago, certain players are interesting. And part of why is that I'm always interested in, you know, what's the next step for modeling? What's the, what's the next leap forward? Or what's the next crack in the wall to fill? And one of the things that I'm curious about is, is synergies like that, where you get two players, you know, who can bring out something from one another that, that you wouldn't see uh, in other players, or occasionally the opposite where you know, two players would be better if they were apart. But, you know, the most obvious cases of stuff like that is if you have two incredibly good shooters who are going to hurt one another just because they're, only one of them can take, only one of them can shoot any particular puck. And so those are the, you know, I keep an eye on those things for those, those reasons. And that makes those players more interesting because it's professionally interesting as well as just, you know, oh, hey, look, they scored another goal. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I have a, a couple of follow-up questions on that, actually. Uh, one that I was going to ask, and then one that just occurred to me as you were as you were talking. Um, looking at the Columbus center depth situation, you know, we have like one and a half centers at any given moment. Who who would you put between Line A and Voracek? Because I think they have really kind of clicked. And yeah, you want those two to be stapled together basically the entire season. But I think the, the big question is, who do we get to send to them? And it's, for the most part, it's been Boone Jenner, and I was okay with that. But I'm wondering if, from your point of view, there is a better answer on the team. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it, to me, it seems, I agree with you, it seems like a real, a real point of weakness. Um, I don't subscribe to the orthodoxy that says that you have to build you know, first goal, then centers, or then defenders, then centers, then wingers, as if the wingers were somehow, you know, like a, a dispensable frivolity. 
I think you can build around whatever players are your best players. And as long as you get the most out of them, then that, that will be the strategy you ought to, you ought to go with. And in Columbus, the wingers clearly are the strongest players. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to be disappointing, but I really don't see any really good choices there. No, Maybe, that's I mean, kind of how I've been looking at it as well. Which I guess comes down to uh, perhaps you should make a trade. Yeah, it, it's frustrating because like you look at the, the Patrick Laine trade and I wonder how Laine would look on Pierre-Luc Dubois' wing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to always, the fact that they were traded for one another really makes that, you know, unavoidable in your mind to make that connection. But in fact, they would be, I think that would be a great choice. Yeah, I mean, but that was that was kind of when they were like, "Oh, Liney's unhappy in Winnipeg." I was like, "Oh, maybe, maybe we can pry him out of there." And then obviously, like two weeks later, it came out that Dubois wants out of Columbus, and I was like, "I know how this ends," and I <laughs> I don't like it. But I feel like Dubois, especially, is always going to be kind of the one that got away for for the future of this team. Well, if you want good players, you I mean, you need to pay for them. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah, exactly. Coming up in a minute, I've got the end of my conversation with Micah, but first I've got to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. They've got a whole new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Make sure you head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON, all one word, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas Hero games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favourite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Welcome back to Locked Up Blue Jackets. Once again, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms. So I really appreciate you guys giving me a, giving me a listen. Um, I guess let's let's kind of let's finish up with um, something that again ties into what you were just talking about, which is um, the idea of being able to track like synergy or chemistry. I guess is is super interesting, and so I was wondering, kind of along those lines, of is there anything else that you have kind of been wanting to track but haven't yet kind of found the 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 right numbers or the right way to track it or you're like is there anything else that you're working on at the minute that you can talk about that's like kind of new and exciting in terms of understanding hockey there is one thing in fact it ties into what you what we were talking about earlier about seth jones and also about allison lucan who is a friend of mine and uh, uh, i'm proud to call a colleague you know in some generalized sense we're both working on hockey and the we have talked about seth jones allison and i many many times and one of the things one of the ideas that has come up in those conversations is one about salience, about certain, certain players by what they do, most obviously with the puck, but not necessarily just with the puck, that certain players affect the game when they're on the ice more than others. That some, so, you know, the most obvious way you can affect the play is, is you can have the puck and you can do something amazing with it, you know, McDavid style, where you can just take on the entire team like that fantastic old <laughs> and, uh 
you know, I, 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 every time I say something like that, I always enjoy thinking, you know, someone's going to listen to this, God knows how long in the future, and they're not going to know which McDavid goal I mean, and it doesn't matter. You know, they all have the same. They're, yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all amazing. Yes, yeah, so you know, Lionel Messi, I do what I want kind of quality to them. Um, but so that's one very obvious way that you can be salient. But another way, of course, is that if you're, if you're a defender and you're out of position, then, then NHL opponents will notice that and they will ruthlessly take advantage of you. And in fact, you, you personally may not even be in the frame of the highlights of the goals that, that your team allows because of your salience. And, and sometimes, you know, the origins of those things are interesting. You know, they could be because you're especially good, because you're especially bad, because you're following especially weird coaching instructions because of whatever confluence of ideas. But it's interesting to me to investigate the possibility that some players are affecting the game for better or for ill more. And I don't have, I, I have some preliminary work on this, but um, this is one of those things where I'll sort of steadily and slowly work on it all year. Uh, I don't change any of my models in the season as a matter of course. And now that I've started doing this for a full-time career, I have a, a fairly well-defined pattern of scheme schemes in the, in the season and figure out new ideas in the off season where I can work on them without any actual games going on. And so if that's the case, then, then we might be able to tease apart players who play consistently with one another a little bit better. If one of them is more salient than the other, then more of the weight of what happens on the ice should be attributed to them and less of it to the other person. And that would, that would let us get a, a tighter bead on a lot of players and would resolve a number of, I think, thicket sort of thorny questions, um, including about specific players like like Jones, where where you would see why he looks so good and also why his team results have never been quite as good as as you might expect from what you see. Do you find that when you're kind of working on something like this, it's it's very, very slow progress right up until something clicks and then suddenly everything falls into place or is it a little bit more kind of twisty and turny? Uh, more twisty and turny and more um, more incremental where, where I find that by sort of working on the soft edges of whatever problem I can work on, you get a little bit of purchase on something and you get a, a, a purely mathematical technique or a statistical insight or a hockey re revelation of one kind where you suddenly understand something properly. And then you go back and you try all of your old problems again, but this time just a little bit smarter, a little bit faster, a little bit with better data, a little bit more efficiently, whatever it might be. And then you find, so I, I in my head, I call them runs. I need to take another run at that problem, another run at this problem. And, you know, the time of having it percolate in the back of your mind, as well as whatever improvements made you think, you know, now's the time to revisit that. And so, for instance, I uh, recently just put out a new shift chart, which is a purely descriptive gadget you know it has no real insight in it but but it took me six attempts over as many years to come up with something that I thought that I was proud enough of that I could put out and the same comes when I'm doing analytical work I'm trying to do more modeling work where you know chemistry for instance is something that I attempted to quantify for the first time three or four years ago and that attempt was just dire but you know I tried it again this summer and made some progress but nothing I could publish and so this coming summer I'll I'll think about that and use the failed attempts as like fodder to feed the, what I hope will be a successful attempt this coming summer. Yeah, that's, I feel like I've said this a million times during this interview, but that, yeah, it's so interesting, especially 
for me as a person who does not have this kind of statistical background or or mindset to just kind of sometimes you you think hard enough about something and then you make like a whole a whole model um it's just yeah fascinating um and hopefully it's it's fascinating for my listeners as well um and i think that's kind of that's kind of everything uh i had um now i i do uh patronize hockeyviz.com frequently i think it's really cool really exciting um so if people don't do that they definitely should um but where can where else can people find you and your work so i these days i've been consolidating things pretty tightly so twitter is the the main place where i um you know sometimes i like tell silly stories about my kids but mostly put out hockey stuff um and so that's at ineffective math which is all one word it's a joke about how i couldn't get a job as a research mathematician and uh but hockeyviz.com is where all of the all of the stuff that's polished goes uh and uh, as many of you will know, it's half paywalled and half not. So a lot of it is free. And uh, and if you don't have any money to spare, you can just poke around and see all of the interesting visualizations and all the interesting charts. Um, and if you want to get a, a lot of depth, then that's where the subscriptions come in. Um, they're quite cheap, 5 or $10 a month, depending on how much detail you like. And uh, I got to say, it's a great way to make a living, among other things that allows me to do interviews like this and and just talk hockey with people I like talking hockey with. Yeah, it's a great uh, kind of meeting of like math and passion, I guess. Not that, you know, you can't be passionate about math, but it's, I don't know, it's, yeah, fancy stats are so interesting to me. As a person who kind of vaguely understands them, they have this real kind of like almost mythical quality, I guess, um, which is why interviews like this are so interesting because... I can look at these these charts and kind of draw some conclusions, but it's really kind of talking to the people that make them and the people that understand them that kind of you get the the real the real knowledge from. Um, so yeah, thank you again for for coming to sit down about this. Uh, I have learned a lot. Uh, it's not all good news, but it was super interesting. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. All right, in just a minute, we've got some mailbag questions for you. Uh, so that is coming right up next on Locked On Blue Jackets. So we'll start off with a, a question that is uh, a little bit hard to answer right now, but I'll uh, I'll give it a go. Um, so a uh, question from Anna Shea, who wants to know, will the jackets be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Hmm. Honestly, if they keep going like this, I, you know, obviously buyers, my inclination is probably that we're going to regress starting maybe in the next five, ten games. Uh, I don't know that we'll be sellers so much. Uh, we don't have a ton of expiring contracts for guys that, you know, we, we would kind of get anything for the only real piece that we have i believe i'm just pulling up cap friendly is uh Yunus Kupsalo, who is uh on a expiring contract he is a ufa next season i believe uh and you know he's been he's had a really strong start to the season yes he's only played three games but he is a piece i think that has uh 
significant um, value. Uh, he is... Yeah, so we have three other UFAs. We've got Gregory Hoffman, Scott Harrington, Gabriel Carlson. I can't see us moving any of them for anything significant. Like, maybe Scott Harrington, if a team is looking for, like, a fifth or sixth defenseman. Um, but beyond that, it's really... It's just Corpus Allo, And I guess Max Domi. Um, so it'll be... Interesting to see how that goes, actually. Uh, Max Doby could be on his way out of town as a, as a trade deadline asset, but also that is implying that the Blue Jackets are not making the playoffs, and frankly, if they keep playing like they are, they very well could make the playoffs in a year that, you know, a lot of people had predicted them to be terrible. Um, I will say that with even though the Blue Jackets' kind of strong play has surprised everyone to start the season... The rest of the Metropolitan Division is also looking very strong. Um, so even as we improve, so does uh, every other team. Uh, currently, the bottom of the Metro is Pittsburgh. Uh, they are 4-3-4. Four, four. They have 12 points on the season. Um, in contrast to uh, teams at the bottom of the Atlantic, is Montreal with seven points. They're three ten and one. Seattle is at the bottom of the Pacific. They are four eight and one. And Arizona is at the bottom of the Central. They are one eleven and one. So you know when you when you look at the the league breakdown, uh, the weakest team in the Metropolitan Division is twenty third in the league. And that's Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is about to get uh, Crosby and Malkin back. So we'll see how that goes. I imagine they will probably very quickly improve their game. Uh, so, like I said, we might go ahead and make the playoffs. You don't know, but uh, it's tough to it is tough to say. Um, I would like to think that we'd be buyers, but I also know that in terms of you know, how Kekalainen thinks our biggest, like, our last biggest trade deadline acquisitions were the guys that we just kind of kept instead of flipping. So, uh, Artemi Panarin and Sergei Borowski, we could have flipped the year we ended up winning uh, that series against Tampa. We didn't. We kept them. They were our quote-unquote trade deadline acquisitions. So, uh, I could see him doing the same thing with, you know, Yus Gopsalo and Max Domi and saying, no, these are our trade deadline acquisitions. We're going to keep them and hope that they help us in the playoffs. Um, uh, next question. When will a proper goalie win hug ritual return from the wars? I don't know. Um, and it's deeply upsetting to me personally that they don't seem to have figured this out because somebody needs to figure this out. Uh, there are goalies out there going unhugged and it's unacceptable. Um, a slightly less genuine question from... Uh, Anna Shea is, which CBJ player has the highest chance of ever being an answer to a New York Times crossword clue? Well, obviously none of them. Um, although I do, I, I am a partaker in the New York Times crossword, and it is always funny to me when there is a, an NHL or a hockey clue. Um, Rick Nash, I think, is probably the, the obvious one, but I also think that no one who does the New York Times crossword probably knows who Rick Nash is. I know he was a New York Ranger for a very long time, but we'll see. Um, I would love for, like, a Mersley Kins, uh, just because I think that's a really fun 
potential crossword clue, lots of lots of uh, potential for fun answers to go off, you know, the Z and the K, etc. But yeah, I don't see anyone. I mean, like, I think the, the only players I've seen in the New York Times crossword in my, like, six months of doing it have been, like, Bobby Orr and... That's, I think that's the only player that I've seen, so who knows. Um, one last question I've got is uh, from Goodbye Puck Pie. So that is uh, a very good friend of mine, Claire. She wants to know, uh, how do I think the long break between games this week will affect the next game? Honestly, I'm expecting us to lose tomorrow's game. I think five days off is just, it's too long. I know everyone's like, well, the bye week is good. Um, you know, it gives players a chance to rest mid-season. But I just, I think there was a, you know, back when bye weeks existed before the NHL, you know, back when there was a normal NHL season. Um, it was, it was tough for a lot of teams. I think there was only like one or two teams that actually came out of the bye week with a win. So I'm expecting us to lose Tomorrow's game against Washington, uh, that's something that we're going to get into in tomorrow's episode. I'm sitting down uh, later today with Tyler Cool of Locked On Capitals to preview tomorrow's game. Um, and then one last question from Claire. Do we think Jack Roslovic can rebound or was last year an outlier? I think he can, he can rebound. Obviously, he's not been getting a ton of offense. Right now, uh, he has yet to score a goal. I think he's only got three points on the season. Um, I do think that's kind of a result of being pushed down the lineup a little bit. Obviously, the strong play of uh, Sillinger, Boone Jenner being put in the top line center has kind of pushed Roslovic down to that third line center. Uh, he has three points on the season, yeah. So you'd want to hope that he gets a little more... Uh, offense kind of started up but yeah right now I think his underlying stats are pretty good um you know we we talked to Micah about this he he likes Jack Roslovic a lot as a uh, as a player kind of stylistically so hopefully you know he can figure it out and make it work kind of like you know Texier is making his fourth line role work uh, and I think that's all the questions I have, and that is all I have for you today. Uh, like I said a little bit earlier, tomorrow I will be talking to Tyler Cool of Lockdown Capitals about tomorrow's upcoming game against the Capitals, first of the season. Uh, Alex Ovechkin is just murdering teams left, right, and center, so I'm sure that'll be fun. Um, and then uh, we play New Jersey on Saturday, so no games for five days, and then a back-to-back. Uh, so that should be that should be fun for the guys, fun for us. I've been Jeff Foster. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Jacob Foster, J-A-K-O-B-F-O-R-S-T-E-R. You can find this podcast at L-O underscore Blue Jackets. If you have comments, questions, criticisms, you can email me at LockdownBlueJackets at gmail.com. And until tomorrow, make sure you stay locked on.